Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your back, Jean-Luc. Jean-Luc. I'm Captain Captain Janeway of the USS Voyager. Captain Captain Janeway of the USS Voyager. Welcome to the greatest generation. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys just a little bit embarrassed about having a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. Oh. Just uh, finishing up the embroidery on the back of my jacket. Does drive hold up? I mean, drive is ridiculous. Drive is all about the like mood of it. It is not about being a movie that hangs together, right? Drive was like the the progenitor for John Wick, right? Like just the the cool live alone dude out for revenge, kicking ass. That kind of that's a genre that's existed for time and Miriam, though, right? Like that's not yeah. Drive didn't invent that. The uh, this unassuming dude is actually the wrong guy to fuck with genre. That's you know like what? maybe that genre was asleep for a while and was woken up. Yeah, by yeah. the car horns and drive. Hollywood came calling and the incels responded. <laughs> I refuse to be painted with that brush. I think all kinds of people enjoy Drive. I think uh, Drive's a fun movie in my recollection. Great soundtrack. It's fun. Come on, man. Kaczynski. Soundtrack's fun. I think that the like the the car chases are really fun and cool. Mm-hmm. And everything around them is like incredibly shockingly stupid. <laughs> Wasn't there like a fight in an elevator or a or a kiss in an elevator or both a fight and a kiss in an elevator? Wasn't that drive? That was a thing in drive. Yeah. There was the thing where Brian Cranston talked about how a race car needs a lot of tread on its tires. And he uh, was like, come on, movie about cars. Shouldn't you have like one person on set? I don't even know anything about cars. And I know that you race on slicks. Brian Cranston, that's right. Oscar Isaac, Christina Hendricks. That's it, Ben. We we got to do a bonus episode with Drive. Okay. <laughs> Albert Brooks. Yeah, Albert Brooks is the knifey bad guy, and his his brother is played by uh um fuck uh Hellboy that mm. uh, that mm-hmm. like threatened the life of the CEO of Sony during the strike. Do you feel the way I do about? Ron Perlman, the realest motherfucker in Hollywood. <laughs> I remember almost every movie up until 2000 or maybe 2005. And then I don't remember any movie that came out after that until about 2020. Uh-huh. You could have told me Drive was made in 2000 or it was made in 2020. But I have a total movie blind spot. It's not like I didn't go to movies in 2010 or 2011. It's just that I don't, I don't remember that decade. What happened to me? I remember Drive in a specific era because when Drive came out, there was a kind of guy that was around my, uh, not, the, not to say I had a social circle, but like a kind of guy I would encounter. You had a, so- it, you had a social line, maybe? <laughs> yeah. I had a social arc. Uh-huh. <laughs> There was a kind of guy I would encounter in certain circumstances who made his entire personality putting on the soundtrack from Drive at a party, you know? I mean, the thing is, it's a fucking great soundtrack. Like, if you're going to be a guy who puts on a thing at a party, I mean, Drive soundtrack, 
pretty okay. You could do worse. It's good. Yeah, yeah. But doesn't a real human being and a real hero also have real interests outside of putting on the drive soundtrack at a party? I don't know. I I don't know which of your friends you're talking about. I just met a bunch of your old friends at your... Uh... None of them were this guy. Really? Come on. Are you sure? I'm trying to figure out who it might be. I think it might be one of them. They weren't there in New York at this time. Okay. <laughs> In every man, there are uh, two wolves, and one of them listens to the Drive soundtrack. (laughs) I'm not saying it's bad to listen to the Drive soundtrack. I'm saying a kind of person got way too obsessed with the Drive soundtrack. I just want to know what kind of person you mean when you say a kind of person. Yeah. Well, you're never going to know, because it doesn't sound like you were that kind of person, and it doesn't sound like... I mean, you did have a social circle, back in in the era when Drive came out. That's probably why you don't remember exactly when it came out. Would the very worst person at a party to you <laughs> be a guy who pulls out a guitar and plays the Drive soundtrack like <laughs> acoustically? That's the worst, right? MTV unplugged. Yeah. yeah Plug it back in. Yeah. Plug it, Plug it back in. I have always assumed that I'm the worst person at the party. So look, I've been I've been teasing you a bunch in this Marin. You're one of, if not the best person to have at a party, because here's why. You're not gonna play any of your bullshit music at me. <laughs> uh you're gonna bring a bottle of something great. You might even make drinks out of the thing that you bring. Uh always good for a joke and a hang. Yeah. Uh, you help me clean up. You get the fuck out. Like that, those are great. Those are great qualities in my mind. I uh, I appreciate you saying that. It's it's not going to dissuade me from my conviction that I'm the worst person at a party. Sure. You know what? If that is the engine that keeps you at this level, like sometimes <laughs> your false modesty can actually make you like a better party goer. And so if right. this is like the fuel for that, yeah, keep thinking that. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. You suck at parties, Ben. Definitely come to my next one. <laughs> yeah. If you ever invited me, yeah. I could demonstrate how much I suck. <laughs> yeah. All, all my parties are Christmas parties. Mm. Well, we're getting into uh, into the holiday season, and and love is in the air, Adam. Do you want to get into the episode of Star Trek Voyager we came to talk about today? What a bizarre little nugget this one is. Ben, it's Star Trek Voyager Season 7, Episode 3, Derive. Now that's pod racing. Reverse course. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes, I'm not turning around. (laughs) Our cold open is on the Delta Flyer, and it's zooming through a test flight through an asteroid field with Paris up front at the wheel and Harry Kim in the station behind him. It's got to suck to be seated where Harry Kim is facing because you're like, Basically orthogonal to the direction of travel. So you're just looking at the side of the ship the entire time. Mm. Yeah. And you're only looking the ba- at the back of someone's head. Also. Yeah. Which a lot of times is fine. But in this context, no way. Yeah. I mean, in a version of Star Trek where nub and bugs became the, the big threat to the Federation that they thought they might when they wrote that episode of TNG, like, this is this is a good seat. You want to be back there checking for nubbins. It's one of those compositions that I think merits mention in that like 
you've got to do it this way. You can't do shuttlecraft style seating in a place this important to Star Trek Voyager. Right. You have to have a guy over the shoulder of the pilot in order to make the composition work. And frequently, that's what we get here, this two shot. It's a nice shot. They're zooming around. Harry is being, you know, a little bit of a wet blanket about the way Paris is flying. And then they uh, a ship pulls up alongside them and a voice, a lady voice from the other ship <laughs> challenges them to a race. And Harry puts his wet blanket down, picks up his crank. <laughs> Harry Kim is kind of the goose to Paris's Maverick here, isn't he? Oh. Goose frequently the, not now, Mav. <laughs> not a good idea to buzz the tower or whatever. Right, right. In your description, that just hit me. Like, yeah, Harry Kim doesn't want to buzz the tower. Tom Paris does. Let's race. Yeah, is does that mean that at such time as Paris and Kim have to eject, Kim would bonk his head on the plexiglass as they <laughs> as they get out of the plane i think that's the case i mean Man. harry kim lived off of his own ropes in that escape pod mm. for a long time right yeah it's gonna make meg ryan so sad if that happens yeah yeah they race to the comet at the end of the asteroid field just a beautiful shot at the end of this cold open what a place i like the shot it was a a really dynamic interesting environment Ben, if, if you are dropped into an episode as the action's happening and that action happens to be a race, would you say that you're in media race race? Mm. Yeah. Because that's us after the theme. You are in media race race. I felt like by contrast with the opening, which felt really exciting and dynamic, the way they shot this race after the opening credits felt really slow and kind of lethargic and non-exciting to me. Kind of a weird tone if what you're trying to do is like a race episode. Right. Which is what this is. Yeah. Like, I I think that they got it a little bit better in the later ones, and maybe what they were trying to do is like not nuke the fridge, not have all of the excitement get out of the way in the first four minutes of the episode. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that this episode overestimates the amount of interest there is in the Delta Flyer as a cool ship that people want to know more about? Because kind of a lot of time and attention is given to like, whoa, cool new impulse engines or like, wow, the seats look like they might be in a different color or whatever. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> whereas you could scrape a little bit of that attention onto something that's actually cool, maybe if what you thought was the Delta Flyer wouldn't cut it in that department. So what you're saying is you wish that they'd focused more on like establishing a realistic relationship arc between Tom and Bolana. <laughs> you know what? That wouldn't be managing my expectations like I have been the entire series, W slash R slash G, that relationship. <laughs> I mean, I was kind of surprised Surprised having read the capsule for this episode and like the race comes between Tom and Bolana, that this lady that they beam over does not become an object of romantic interest for Tom. Yeah. Like the episode seems to be like, uh, oh, I guess we can't do that. So I guess we'll make Harry interested in her. 
you know? <laughs> like, it sort of feels like a a writer's room afterthought of like, oh, yeah, I guess we should probably... There's going to be a young woman in this episode. We have to make one of the male characters be horny for her. Right, but as the resident stick man of Voyager, it has been a while since Harry stuck it in Strange. <laughs> yeah. Except when they beam on board uh, the pilot from this other ship, a ship that is drifting in space due to its blown out nacelle. She's coughing, but she's fine. And so is her ship. It's going to need some repairs. And so Harry Kim is pretty enthusiastic about putting some fresh parts into her hull on Voyager. Yeah. He's like, you got your nacelle blown out. Let me blow something else out for you. Yeah. How's that back doing? (laughs) Are you always this inquisitive? Get up, Harry. Who are you? That depends on who I'm talking to. Parents must be very proud. The one with the long handle. Of course. Who are you? Harry Kim. There's someone to watch out for. How can you turn me down? Apparently I can't. Who are you? Harry Kim. I lasted 22 minutes. And your mom? Very proud. Harry Kim. Who are you? Harry Kim. So back on Voyager, we're in Six Bay. And uh, BLT wants to borrow three hours of the Doctor's holodeck time. This is a, I feel like you've made this point before. Why does the doctor need holodeck time ever? <laughs> and why, why should he be at the front of any line? Can he just go into the computer and experience this without holography? This is my question. Like when he goes to sleep, doesn't he just go into basically what the holodeck is? Or does he go to sleep? Like... Yeah, I don't know. There's a, there definitely seems to be something in Star Trek about like the holographic matrix is doing more than just representing something physically. It's like also like somehow computationally mm-hmm. important. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe there's something to that. But anyways, yeah, he's he's got a tea time that he doesn't want to give up. And she's like, listen, you don't understand. I have put in so much work getting all of the holodeck time for this entire weekend put together, except for this three-hour span. And if I can get your holodeck time from you, then Tom Paris and I can have a romantic weekend getaway on Giddy Prime, the seat of House Harkonnen? Mm. That's supposed to be better than Ryza in her mind? What a nightmare! I really wish the doc didn't acquiesce here and instead like BLT and Paris got to do their holodeck time up until the three hours when they when they have to like side out and rotate Getty Prime <laughs> for the doc. Yeah. Give me that scene. <laughs> um, you're a golfman. What did you think when you saw this putter? I mean, it looked like it had a, a bunch of different like flaps. I thought it was a novelty club that was all clubs like you kind of turn one of the leaves out and that's like your six iron or you turn another (laughs) leaf out and that's your nine iron that's what i thought this was oh wow it's like a swiss army putter yeah like a swiss army bathroom putter (laughs) i have made an improvement but i know what the doctor's feeling like uh tea times are hard to come by you don't really want to change them if you don't have to yeah but uh blt does this thing this thing that we rarely see her do which is like guilt trip someone hard. Well, if your tea time is more important than our happiness, our first chance to be alone in months. And it works. Fine. Yeah. 
take my three hours. Thank you. Mission accomplished for BLT. Our course is locked in. Good. Listen to me very carefully because I'm only going to say this once. Meanwhile, in the shuttle bay, we get like a very fun establishing shot of the Delta Flyer next to this lady's ship. And inside, Harry Kim is trying to help her fix things up. She's a little short with him in a way that seems like maybe Harry Kim's skills of a Mac Daddy are not necessarily working super great on her. I thought the casting here was really interesting because... It seems on the surface that this is going to be an episode where Harry Kim has the hots for the hot guest star of the week. Right. And, you know, in the beginning, she's cool to the idea for whatever reason. And this episode surprised me because up until its its revelation happens, I was like, yeah, she's just not down with Harry Kim. And that's okay. I guess it's a matter of taste. And yet he persists, you know? (laughs) Yeah, in the way of, like, millions of characters on millions of 80s and 90s TV shows in particular. That's it exactly, yeah. Yeah. Sia Batten, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing her name correctly, uh, appears to be an Orion in her IMDb picture. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I think she was also on uh, Star Trek Enterprise, maybe. What did you make of her ship? Because I thought it was real roller coaster core <laughs> of a design. Like like everything's bright and it looks like everything is crash padded. Yeah. Like all the like neon green paneling and, yeah. and everything. I really did like all the bright colors. You never see that. Yeah. Like but then like all of the panels kind of evoked Cardassian to me. They had a like a Deep Space Nine computer look to them. It really looks like a lot of work to have built this ship. Like everything is glossy and resined. Like yeah, it, it looked nice. It did look nice. Um, so yeah, they they're kind of not things are not going super great for Harry Kim in just trying to have like a pleasant conversation while helping this lady fix her ship. And then she does the thing that you have to do to kind of get a guy off you at a party is mention <laughs> that you already have a co-pilot. <laughs> yeah. Right at the moment that Paris comes down the long ladder from another part of the ship. Yeah. Paris uh, comes in to try a classic pickup artist tactic on her, which is negging her warp drive. Yeah. He's been in the back checking things out, and she's like, I don't really fuck with warp. Like, I'm I'm into impulse. That's where all the action is. Warp is straight-line physics. Impulse is where the fun is. I like this distinction, the distinction between a race car and a, and a dragster, you know? Anyone can understand this. Yeah, it's got the kind of feel of, of shop talk, which we always really love hearing in mm-hmm. these shows. So she starts talking about this race that she's getting ready to take part in, And we cut right to a McLaughlin group. Issue one. Where Tom and Harry are pitching some of the other senior officers on them joining this race, entering the Delta Flyer in it. I love these kind of sequences. You know, expedite the story. Don't tell it twice. Like, pass the baton from scene to scene. And that's what this is. Yeah. And, like, they are now introducing the new idea to other characters Mm -hmm. and... We pick it up midway through the unrolling of this idea. 
Tuvok is a little worried about the modifications that will have to be done to the Delta Flyer and all the manpower that will be requisitioned to do this. He's like, you're you're gonna have to put this like fuel converter system in there. You're gonna have to paint cool corporate logos all over the side of it. That's gonna be kind of annoying. We're gonna have to uh, do the jackets with all of said logos. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the scorpions on the back. This is maybe my favorite version of B-Dunks doing Paris is like the child asking mom for permission to do a thing. You see this all the time. Paris, I think, has done this a couple of times this season. Yeah. But this time, Janeway's into it. Absolutely. This competition is just the sort of break we need. Yeah, it it very much has the same energy of just asking to get to make the Delta Flyer in the first place. Yeah, great call. And yeah, request granted. Janeway's been looking for a nice diversion where they don't have to be the ship of death this week. (laughs) (laughs) Give it time. (laughs) So, yeah, she's into it, uh, but she wants it done in a way where they're going to actually go for the gold. There's coffee in winning. There's a really cartoonish tableau to end this scene where Chakotay, Paris, and Kim are like, psyched for the thing and Tuvok is like the perturbed crew person (laughs) Mm -hmm. just disapproving of everyone else's excitement that's fun (laughs) Paris learns quickly that he has fucked all the way up because he walks down to Six Bay where the doctor is practicing his short game I don't know man if you're missing the jar so bad that it's going out into the corridor I think you need to uh Go to the practice facility mm-hmm. more than playing real rounds, Doc. Yeah, why does he have a tea time at St. Andrews when he's this remedial in his skills? He's going to get murdered at St. Andrews. <laughs> it's not going to be good for him. You suck, you <laughs> jackass. I love these balls. Yeah. One thing that's happened in golf, I would say fairly recently, is like people are more comfortable playing a crazy-looking ball. Interesting. Ball with shit on it. Ball that's bright gold colored or red colored or black. Uh huh. People will play a black golf ball now. That never used to be a thing. Does anybody play like a Kelly Green golf ball? Yeah. Like part of the challenge is that it's really hard to find. I mean, there's all types out there now. But it, I mean, and there's glow balls too. People play at night. Night ball. Night golf. With balls that glow. <laughs> I've never done that before. That sounds like fun. But yeah. That's got to be an easier tea time to get, right? <laughs> yeah, I should try for those. That'd be better. Yeah, we get a nine o'clock tea time. Great. <laughs> See you after dessert. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. So Paris brings the doc's ball back to him in the six bay. The doc sees a Paris that is feeling great and confuses the reasons why. He's like, oh, you must be psyched about this trip BLT has planned. And this is a great take by B-Dunks here. When the reality of his fuck-up washes over him. Oh, no. Don't tell me you forgot. He's excited about the wrong thing. Yeah. He's like, Doc, your short game is fucked up. My short and curlies are about to get fucked up. Is there a way you could surgically remove my penis and testicles? (laughs) For the conversation I'm about to have, keep them safe, like in stasis, so I can go have this extremely difficult conversation, and then you can reattach them later. 
Oh, yeah. It's like the flower under the glass dome in Beauty and the Beast just yeah. rotating in the six bay. <laughs> <laughs> Oof. If a mood had polarity, Paris gets his reversed. Like, And he, <laughs> he slinks out of the room for a fight that he knows is coming. And here's my question about this. Like, not knowing a fight is coming is better, right? Than like putting foot in front of foot on your way to it. Like that the agony of that is awful. Yeah. That's what Paris has in front of him. Why is the anticipation of a fight so painful and also the anticipation of good so painful? It's like they both uh, suck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're bad. Both of them. Bofa. Well, speaking of these nuts, Paris enters engineering expecting them to get absolutely clobbered and is very confused when she appears to be cool with the decision that he's made and not even like that he's really made a decision like he is so into his idea of going and entering this race that he went and planned it and you know got the ship reassigned to the task of race without even considering the effect it might have on BLT or their weekend. And she's like, oh, okay, great. You know, we'll just reschedule the thing. I would have rather jumped over the rail into the warp core than admitted that I'd forgotten. <laughs> I could not understand that he told her he forgot. You don't have to lie, but you don't have to say that. You don't have to show your whole ass here. It's too much truth, maybe. I think a couple of things are happening here. And the first one is the heartbreaking moment of like BLT being so happy to see him at the exact moment he's there to ruin her weekend. Right. That sucks. But also the way these shots are composed, I think really helps out both actors because they're very close up. You get to see their expressions right in there in a way that allows you to perceive BLT's kind of dishonesty about being okay with this. And the like kind of wishful thinking that Paris is engaging in, in suspending his disbelief and believing her dishonesty. Like, yeah, you know, I like how she doesn't go full soap opera after Paris is gone. Like there's a moment where I'm like, Oh, is this real? And then, Oh yeah, obviously it's not. But her take is very subtle, you know? Yeah. I think Roxanne Dawson has this gear, but I don't think BLT is the hang tier type. No. And yeah. So that's not the way she takes it. Instead, she winds up late night in Neelix's restaurant. Mistakes were made if it's late night <laughs> and you're going through Neelix's restaurant, wouldn't you say? Yeah. And he's like, sorry, sorry, the kitchen is closed. Sorry. But you said it closed at 10. It's 9.35. <laughs> He's like, can I at least get like a bag of chips or something? Coffee, do it, black, coffee, black. Make it, make it, make it yourself. BLT does that thing where she just sort of collapses on what seems to be, is this a new couch in the mess hall or is this just a couch being used for the first time? I, I was trying to think of it. It's been in the background in other shots and they just haven't set up at it before or or what but yeah 
I'm not a big like uh, interior design or, or like furniture man. Tin man. But it kind of seems like Star Trek interior design and Patrick Bateman's apartment from American Psycho are kind of <laughs> compatible, you know? Patrick, it's so elegant. What a wonderful view. Yeah. This couch looks like it belongs in Patrick Bateman's apartment. It would look good with a sheet of plastic thrown over it. Yeah, with the style section taped to the floor. I like uh, Neelix's take here, too. Neelix kind of collapses across from BLT. Yeah, he fakes a foot injury. And uh, it's here that they have this conversation about how she's dealing with, uh, I don't know, what, what could be a sad double cross. Yeah, I mean, she's kind of thinking of it as the end of their relationship. She's like, there's a lot I like about him, but we're just not compatible totally. Like we're, you know, despite all the all of the love between us, it never seems to quite come together. And it's time to stop kind of fooling myself about, you know, what the real deal is with him. Sometimes Star Trek really gets it right in these moments. And I think this is a moment that does because... Neelix makes the case that it's not really fair for Paris not to know that he screwed up. You know, like if you if you're really in it with a person, yeah, and you ride for them and you and you think you're deciding to to break things off, like for Paris to not know the reason that's the cause of it is just a form of dishonesty almost. It's not protecting Paris from who he is or what he's done. It's just like you should be able to have that conversation. It is without honor to withhold the breakup until after the pod race, you know? Yeah. But it's like very relatable thinking that she's doing, right? Like when when a breakup looms, there's always the like, oh, but, you know, this weekend is her birthday or like. Right. You have to do the calculus about how specific to get because specificity is cruelty, too. Yeah. Right, like, for example, when Tom specified that he forgot. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I really like this scene for Neelix. Occasionally, he can be insightful. Yeah, he can really do it sometimes. And, like, the main takeaway here is, like, it's not fair to hold someone to a standard that they don't know about. And that's Tom Paris, in a nutshell. Yeah, you got to tell them about the standard. Mm-hmm. So we get a, a Janeway's log here. The race is on. And so uh, Ambassador Ozal is the race coordinator that transports on. Yeah, played by Brian George, an absolute legendary that guy. Yeah, yeah. See him all the time in everything. Still working all the time. Yeah, he. Uh, you might remember him as uh, Dr. Bashir's dad. Right. Remember? Yeah, he was Dr. Bashir's dad. That's right. Pretty cool. Not anymore. Now he's an ambassador. <laughs> they meet this guy in the ready room with Chicotay, and this is an awkward moment. I couldn't get over this. Like, the ambassador's over there doing ambassadorial work, and he gets a FaceTime, a work FaceTime, and he just takes it in the room in front of him. Yeah, like, what are the chances that this work FaceTime is not going to be about information that might be sensitive to exposed to a new entrant in this race that a lot appears to be riding on. Or useful for story. <laughs> I'll have to find some way of appeasing them. So the backstory here is that this race is about 
peaceful competition to demonstrate the strength of a new treaty between four species that have been vying for control of this area of space. And the point of this call is that one of the species is feeling a type of way about another species getting the honor of hosting one of the parties surrounding the race. And Jaden Way's like, maybe you can solve all problems everywhere by just hosting all of the festivities on Voyager, thereby eliminating any sense of diplomatic favoritism and also removing the need for the television show to build a bunch of new sets. Right. Yeah. Yeah, in contemporary terms, it's like, uh, you know, choosing a neutral site for Thanksgiving or or Christmas (laughs) or whatever, right? (laughs) Yeah. If you got a, a bunch of different parent families involved, yeah, you just take it out of there. Take it out of their hands. Indeed. So uh, <laughs> so this is great news uh, for everybody, including the uh, scenic <laughs> building department. And uh, we cut right to one of these parties. And uh, this is the one where the racing teams are uh, getting to know each other. And Arena, the lady that Tom and Harry saved before, is talking to Tom and Harry, who have snazzy new pilot uniforms. She points out a guy named Asan, who is one of the favorites in this upcoming competition. And he is over at the bum-out window using it for its described purpose. I don't think Star Trek uses white in their costuming very much, but when they do, it just fucking explodes off the screen. That's what I felt about these uniforms. I thought they looked amazing. They looked great. The white is so bright. I wonder if it's just hard to... Like, you probably have to, like, remake this uniform every episode to keep it, like, as crispy and white looking yeah. as it does. Yeah. It's probably why they don't do it. But um, Yeah, these are great. It, I mean, yeah. you never see it used, but you get the sense that those straps are Velcro across the front. The, I just really love how they hang. They're really neat. Yeah. Looked really good. Paris goes up to Asan, who is a former fighter pilot in whatever the war was that this treaty and race are in response to. And he's like, hey, dude, nice to meet you. And Asan is not much of a conversationalist. <laughs> Were you assigned to serve me? Um, not exactly. Hey, Ben, who's worse at a party, Asan or you? Me, 100%. <laughs> Hey, Asan, if you didn't want to go to the party, just don't fucking go. What is this? (laughs) Weird scene and weird shot, too. Like, one of the things I loved about this is that you never see Asan's face, not even a quarter of it. Like, you just see this little sliver because he never stops looking out the window. Yeah. All you see is that massive hole of his ear, which is like, it goes all the way up the side of his head. You're just looking into the void. You're probably allowed to use a Q-tip with this ear, right? They're like, you know, for most people, no. For this guy, use like four. I've never used Q-tips on my ears. What? I believed the no Q-tips in the ear thing from Jump. I believe that you believed that, utterly. (laughs) Oh my God, Ben, it's one of life's pleasures. Really? Oh, it feels great. But doesn't it like bunch the earwax up against your your eardrum? Have you ever used earplugs or anything? Has anything ever... Gone in? I mean, I have like uh, like air AirPods or whatever. You have uh, gold star ear holes. Yeah, 
<laughs> okay, so when you pull your AirPods Never out- Never even shaved them. Do you pull out like a string of pearls of earwax? <laughs> like, do they ever come out just totally wrecked? I choose to keep that information to myself. Oh, no. Oh, no. Here's what I'll say, Ben. And no one should ever take medical advice from two Star Trek podcasters. Hmm. You can just uh, just tease the rim with that <laughs> Q-tip. You don't have to go all the way in. I don't think so. I think you might be happy with uh, the results. Sounds kind of dangerous to me. Damn. I get my ears checked all the time. There's no there's no impacted wax in my holes. That's good. In my holes. Or you want to know what my lifetime dollar value of Q-tips that I've purchased is? Zero. I've never spent a nickel on a Q-tip. God, amazing. <laughs> I'm blown away by this. Wow. Wow. You are fascinating. <laughs> I've got to get that platinum. Get that roll bed enlargement. I've got to get that platinum. What now? Are you selling a heist? Gold. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24x7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it. With Squarespace. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. 
The episodes will be amazing and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. After Paris eats shit socially with the sun, Arena's co-pilot, Joxum, walks in. And this shot is so funny to me because it is revealed that they are both wearing exactly the same green vinyl pants. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like Colonel Kira would totally rock this on an off day. Oh, yeah. This is from the Colonel Kira collection. Yeah. But uh, Joxum, a real hunk. Yeah. Like... When they go in for the hug, it really looks like he's about to grab her butt, too. I bet when two people are wearing vinyl pants or vinyl clothing at all and they embrace like this, there's some weird friction. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe not appropriate for two co-workers to hug in pants of this kind. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So we, we cut from this lurid embrace to the ass lab where a BLT asks seven for some bullshit, just some busy work stuff. But Seven's too busy because she's helping design uh, an efficient way to get through the cones of this race. And BLT's like, why are you helping? Yeah. You of all people wouldn't care about this. And the way Seven explains it is she's like, I know that by helping a little bit, I can make our work relationship better. Tom Paris sometimes gets busted down to Ensign, but most of the time he's a lieutenant, And when he's a lieutenant, we got to work well together. So like flaws and all, I still respect the guy and we're a better team when when that respect goes both ways. From the mouth of robo babes. (laughs) This really hits BLT like a ton of bricks. Yeah. She has one of those like, (laughs) like the end of the scene is one of those takes that's just BLT gone, huh? Yeah. This whole episode feels very soap opera-y in, in that way, right? It does, yeah. The reveal is that uh, the next day, Tom is getting ready for the race, and he gets run up on by a paparazzo. That paparazzo, his girlfriend, she's in a flight uniform. She's replacing Harry Kim as his co-pilot. Pretty great, but also pretty fraught, right? Yeah. Like, Harry Kim and Tom Paris are a great team. And when you introduce special person to a hobby, (laughs) watch out. Yeah. But also, when special person shows up 
in the form-fitting flight uniform with mm. the white yoke on top. Yeah. It's like, I cannot possibly stay mad at special person. I don't know if it's just a quality to a race or whatever, but like frustrations during competition like this are so fraught that to like also introduce relationship to it <laughs> just felt so dangerous to me. Yeah. Yeah. The stakes is high, but uh, it's time to kick off the Antarian Transstellar Rally. How great is this introduction? to the race scene. Like, I feel like video games do this really well. Like, the moment before the race begins, like, the shot floats around to the car you've selected in the car selection screen, and, like, it's that time to get excited because the motors are running and, you're, and your vehicle is kind of, kind of ready to go. And that's kind of the scene that we get here on Voyager. It's given F-Zero. It's given mm-hmm. Mario Kart. Yeah. It's giving... Like Fast and Furious movie, like totally. We see all the pilots and co-pilots. We see all the ships all lined up. There's so many cool designs. Like so that was great. such a, a fun part of it. And scales, yeah, loved seeing that. Yeah, and all the all the bigger starships lined up uh, along the front of the raceway. And Ambassador Ozal kind of like speaking to the import of the moment. How badly did you want Osal to hit the button to shoot the torpedo that started the race? That would have been fun. That would have been fun. Let Osal hit the button. Prepare for the starting signal. I would have also liked uh, after the torpedo exploded and the race started to cut back to the bridge and have Tuvok just be at the back of the bridge going, that was our last torpedo. There was a body in that one. <laughs> so we get a bunch of fun race footage. And uh, during the race, Hassan scrapes the Delta Flyer. Ben Rubin is racing. We all know that. Rubin is racing. BLT seems a little bit surprised by this, but Paris has to explain. Yeah. No, he didn't slam you. He didn't bump you. He didn't nudge you. He rubbed you. He's thinking about trying to get Hassan back with a Colford Starburst maneuver mm-hmm. later. But yeah, they're uh, they're in close quarters as this race goes, and Neelix comes down to the ass lab where Seven is monitoring everything on kind of like a top down, like the kind of graphics that you have at the ballpark when it's like the you know the dots are racing around the bases, yeah, yeah. kind of thing. <laughs> and uh, he's like, "You're you're giving percentages, and it's not very exciting." Let me show you how to color commentate. It's all in the delivery. Do you mind? This is so great. So great for Neelix. He has this utterly. He gets on the one MC and he he's so good at it. This reminded me of uh, one of my very first jobs was working in a grocery store and I often worked at night. And uh, I worked the night of the Evander Holyfield Mike Tyson fight where Mike Tyson bit Evander Holyfield's ear. Wow. (laughs) And somehow... (laughs) Clean up on aisle three. There is ketchup everywhere. I actually got on the PA and I was like... Uh, yeah. Here's a a sound and fury update. (laughs) And in whatever round of the fight in Las Vegas, there's been a disqualification because Mike Tyson bit Evander Holyfield's ear. 
they suspended the chin music and started playing ear music. Yeah. Yeah. I really did freelance on the PA for that one, but uh, did not get in trouble. It was appreciated. People wanted to know. It was like one of the biggest sporting events of years. I would like to have known that Adam Pranica. Yeah. This one. That was back when I sold lotto tickets and stuff <laughs> in the grocery store. Great job. Did it just burn you up every time you sold one to somebody <laughs> that wasn't you? <laughs> I I really have no feelings at all about the lottery. And I'm not attracted to that form of gambling at all. Wow. Yeah. Shocking. Yeah. Leave me out of that. Neelix has gathered quite the crowd. Like people had been watching the race out the window on mm-hmm. Voyager, but now they're kind of gathering in the ass lab so that they can hear his uh, his commentary. As the race moves toward the Mobius inversion, and it's the last third of the course, it's like a wormhole, and there's no way to track the racers during because uh, they're they're off sensors. And so while they're in this tunnel with uh, a couple of ships out ahead of them, I guess it's Asan and Irina's ships that they're that they're talking about. Uh, mm-hmm. BLT gets real excited about. Uh, opportunity that they have to get into the lead by kind of like cutting between the two of them, kind of flipping on the nitrous oxide system. Tom is like really not into her plan, but she just does it. She just goes ahead and does it, and he steers them through. And uh, the second they pop out the other side of the wormhole, they get word from uh, the race authorities that uh, it's time to shut the engines down because... There has been a technical problem on one of the other ships and uh, like emergency crews are responding, I guess. Probably helps that they get to to scrape the ships as they go by. Mm-hmm. That's fun. Mm-hmm. Black flag, Ben. Got to stop the race. You never like to see it. Yeah. The reason why is that uh, an accident happened on Arena's ship and, and poor Jackson... His pants are fine. I need to say that up top. Nothing's wrong below the waist. Mm. But uh, he got rocked in the face when his panel exploded. And uh, Arena's rocking a a very sad side ponytail (laughs) as she absorbs this information. Yeah. She's pissed at Hassan for being the one that damaged her ship. And when we cut over to the conference room, like Ozal is there to hear the explanations from from those involved about what happened and BLTs kind of taking responsibility for the scrape. And Tuvok walks in with a wooden shoe that was lodged in Arena's ship. Yeah. Hence the word sabotage. Is this a shoe of race shenanigans or a shoe of war? Is the question. That is the question. It seems like the shield thing overloaded not just because so much rubbing and racing was going on but because somebody threw that into her shield generators and like Asan has not been wildly apologetic and BLT and Tom like have a little bit tried to take some responsibility for what happened but they're like well you know like this is this is pretty fucked up like we need to think about this and the ambassador is quite concerned that this could be a prelude to a broader conflict because like if somebody is trying to mess with the race it might be a way to destabilize the peace 
that they fought so hard for. I like how plausibly athletic the racers are here. The racers just want to race. They don't really seem to give a shit about the politics of it. Yeah. They just want to get back behind the wheel, and that sort of ends up being the consensus. Yeah. So in the corridor after, Arena and Paris and BLT run into Harry Kim, who is absolutely psyched about being Arena's new co-pilot. This is something that Arena does not feel the same way about because she didn't know (laughs) until this moment. He is really not reading the vibes. Like... She does not seem to be responding to the Riz when yeah. he is around her, but he's like, well, maybe if we're forced together on like a road trip, she'll have to talk to me. Yeah, I don't love that. Objection noted. We'll do this without you. Do it. Get do it. Get do it. Objection noted. We'll do this without you. Do it. Get do it. Do it. So we're back on the Delta Flyer after, and they're in the shuttle bay making repairs. BLT and Paris are, and they're talking about race strategy. And uh, Harry Kim walks in limping and covered in soot. Yeah. And also smitten. He was uh, making repairs of his own with Arena. They were up all night. They had a great time. If you spend time with uh, with a romantic interest and then emerge limping and covered in soot, <laughs> pretty good night. Yeah. To be honest, I can't remember the last time I had so much fun. He's very enthusiastic. The race is back on. And uh, we're now, you know, watching them race while BLT talks to Tom Paris about the kind of new relationship energy that Harry Kim was demonstrating the last time they saw him. I know the scene thinks this, and I know Tom Paris thinks this, but I wonder if you think this, that by like listing off all of the previous romantic interests that Harry Kim has, (laughs) I think Paris thinks he's turning this into a positive but, like, when you hear the list, it sounds kind of mean, right? Yeah, definitely, like, a thing you might want to think about when your special person talks about your best friend mm-hmm. in disparaging of terms as these. Yeah. <laughs> it's fun, though. It's a funny scene. I liked it. Yeah. I was a little disappointed that they didn't make Harry Kim a Major Kira pantsuit to go with arenas. Oh, Ben. That would have been incredible. <laughs> Get those pants off of Jackson. Yeah. Jackson pants. I mean, when that panel exploded, Jackson nearly killed him. <laughs> so, like, Paris and BLT start kind of quibbling about their relationship in the context of, oh man, Harry, him, and Arena are so cute together. And then we just cut to them quibbling in their ship. This is what I was afraid of. This is no good. It's a real like, oh yeah, like sometimes the relationship grass is just greener, you know? And they're sniping and having similar disagreements about race strategy and a warning bell goes off and Arena's like, oh, it must be something way back here, well away from your panel. And Harry's like, no, it's my panel. And... (laughs) He, ha- he, like, barely avoids getting the same treatment that Jackson did from this thing. God, this was close. Yeah. No sooner has he jumped out of the way of the exploding panel than Arena pulls a strap on him. She was the bad guy the whole time. 
What'd you make of this close quarters fight? Like the way this was framed up, it felt like you were really in it as a viewer. Yeah. It's like the makeout slash elevator fight scene in the other drive. That's right. Great call. But uh, Kim has the upper hand here shortly. But the, the problem is comms are down. So he can't radio for help. Yeah. I thought that the fight scene was really well choreographed. It felt really realistic. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like super, you know, kung fu or anything. But like when he gets the gun away from her and starts yelling <laughs> at her, I was like. <laughs> I feel like they looped the yell, though. Didn't it sound weird to you? It did sound a little weird, but like in a way of like he delivers the line like somebody who is totally surprised in this moment. Yeah. Like, I thought I was going to get to smash with this girl, and now I'm, like, struggling to get a pistol out of her hands that she was aiming at me, you know? What the hell is going on? Garrett Wong's incredulity here is maybe his finest hour of the past season, at least. This is good stuff. This is chewy. Yeah. Well, it's only we're only three episodes into the season, so. Yeah. I still mean what I said. <laughs> so back on the flyer, uh... Things are almost as big of a fight over there. Yeah. They're arguing about thrusters, Ben, but are they really arguing about thrusters? I don't think so. Yeah. The metaphorical thrusters seem to be malfunctioning in their relationship. And there is a very real feeling here that, like, these are two people who love each other very much, but they're allowing the fact that their relationship might not be perfect to be a reason to break up. I really loved the way they took the metaphor of scraping shields into their own relationship in this conversation. Mm -hmm. Like the script establishes that as some of the terminology that you use in the context of pod racing. And then they bring it into this conversation. I thought it was a really nice little flourish of writing. And I also like that Tom gets so frustrated that he cuts the engines. He's like, the thing that we are working out here is much more important to to me than anything else going on around us. Yeah. And she's really shocked about that. Like she's, she is pretty invested in the race by this point. And I think invested in the race because she assumes that that's the only thing to be invested in because he's not invested in their relationship. And Hmm. he -hmm. kind of proves that the relationship is the more important of the two things to him in this moment. If we've got a problem, we're going to resolve it right here, right now. No sooner has he stood up and uh, turned to face her than Asan's ship zooms past them. And everybody watching the race, including Harry and Arena, are like, well, <laughs> fire's out of it. I get why this moment works to like articulate what... Paris and BLT are feeling, but I wish that in popular culture, sacrifice wasn't so interchangeable with like the currency of a relationship, you know? Yeah. Like so often it's like, if you loved me, you would stop doing the thing that you like and instead choose me. (laughs) And I think that is like, man, that stuff is so caustic to any relationship of any kind that like, I kind of bristle at the depiction of this being like a breakthrough. You know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like it is like a trope to the point of being kind of a kind of a cliche. Mm-hmm. But it 
really works in the context of this race specifically because it really fits. When Arena notices that the Delta Flyer isn't going to win, she's freaked out. Like, yeah, yeah, it it changes her mood completely. And this is when Harry Kim kind of puts it together that there's something wrong with the Delta Flyer that when it gets to the finish line, it is going to take out everybody that is there waiting for the ships to come in. And he realizes that the fuel converter is a bomb and she is like a zealot who is super xenophobic and is trying to end this this peace agreement that has been put in place. Is there a moment, you think, for Harry Kim when he's like, God, she's so hot, though. <laughs> could I live with this? Yeah. I wonder if I could still hit it. Could I smash a zealot? <laughs> He'd probably be super hot, like crazy, right? Rudy Giuliani! It would be an interesting challenge for a stick man as legendary as Harry Kim yeah. to do it with an alien whose like main thing in life is how much she hates aliens. I know. Yeah. <laughs> That's a turn on. You got to overcome a lot to get in those stretchy, stretchy pants. I really admired the work that B. Dunks and Roxanne Dawson had to do in a scene that involves a bomb that never, ever shows the bomb. Yeah. There's no red light beeping faster. There's no countdown. There's no, there's no even sound of like a growing hum that's like building to what could be an explosion. Like it's all on them, this pressure. The scene where they're like kissing and like getting ready to kind of like get down in the Delta Flyer instead of finish the race. Mm -hmm. And then they get the Morse code. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's it's like intense, like when they're kissing and like really kind of like taking an intimate moment slow and you're like, shut up, there's a bomb. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and there's a proposal here and a banger during the proposal. Yeah. It's wild. It's great stuff. Harry Kim is Morse coding a warning to them that they have to eject the warp core and they have to do that thing that Batman did at the end of... Uh, Dark Knight Rises, where they fly it off somewhere yeah. pretty far away so that it doesn't take out everybody in the quadrant or whatever. Great scene. Yeah, they drop it off in a nebula, presumably murdering an intelligent nebula. It, it throws soot all over the white parts of their uniform. Yeah, that's why they can't use these uniforms all the time. Yeah. It's really sad. Yeah. Back on Voyager... Asan finishes the race first. God damn it. God fucking damn it. You knew it was going to be Asan. And then there's a banger felt in the mess hall. That's that's where Janeway is, kind of watching the finish line. Pretty good seats there. Yeah. So she bugs out of there pretty fast when, when they feel the banger. So we cut over to the Delta Flyer, and BLT and Paris are alive. Yeah, they made it. Good for them. Their uniform's not. But this question remains, though. Yeah, who's going to take whose last name? Yeah. Will they send their single lives to Stovacor? <laughs> she never said yes. <laughs> this is a fraught moment. Yeah, he says that uh, he might have to start begging and they, they kiss, but that's not yes. Not yes. Not yes. And then, like, they're just married. Like, they're married off screen. We don't even get to see them, like, you know, talking about killing the Klingon gods or, you know, 
Did they do the same, the whole kit and caboodle the way Worf and Jadzia did, or? I need to skip to this part, Ben. Did you like this episode? <laughs> you know, I'm really easy to get along with most of the time. But I don't like bullets, I don't like breath, and I don't like you. <laughs> I felt very ripped off at the end. Like I wanted the completion of the moment. I wanted to I wanted to see them exchange the vows. I wanted, you know, Lawaxana Troy to show up naked. I wanted something. When you make Star Trek, the first duty is to both please that booty and it's to the truth. But the second duty is you got <laughs> to depict the ceremony. You got to yeah. put on the dress uniforms. You got to see all the pomp, the pomp and the circumstance. You have to ha- have the captain say the thing about it's the happy privilege of captains since the age of sail. You got to see the weird food in the mess hall. You got to see it all. Do you think the reason is that we don't see it is because we saw that that alternate version not that long ago, oh, like because yeah, the silver goo people. Did they think that was enough for us, and it would be too much of a retread? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Felt weird to just like cut around it to the to the afterwards part, though. Also, if what they wanted was a holodeck weekend or whatever, is there? Delta Flyer ride with the barrels dragging behind them and the just married written on the on the windscreen. Like, is that on the holodeck? <laughs> Have I been incepted here? I don't know. Like, are there pleasure planets in the Delta Quadrant that they could be going to for their vacation? This seems like the absolute worst place to honeymoon on the Delta Flyer. Yeah. What are they going to do? Pull out that morgue bed in the back and do it? I don't know. I don't know. It keeps things interesting. Maybe interesting isn't enough for me. I did not like the end of this episode. I liked everything else. I thought it was a really cool episode aside from that. The technology that they now have to do a, you know, an entire starship race. Yeah. Is so cool and so different from anything that they've done before. The kind of terms of the adventure were so cool and different from kinds of adventures that Star Trek has done before. It really opened up the universe Yeah. in this way. Yeah. So, yeah, I really liked it. Yeah, just got to gotta show me the wedding. Mm-hmm. Show the finger going in to the <laughs> ring. Yeah. That's what I want to see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, do you want to see if there's any Priority One messages in the inbox, Adam? Then I'm going in to that. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Beginning with our first priority one message, Ben, it's a promotional message, and that goes like this. Okay. Greetings from Colleen. Seska drop. Seska. She a real bad Jaron Crewman with a Cardassian physiology. She wouldn't do something like this. And Jason, Rolarentrop. At Boss Meadery, we make mead in Wisconsin. Whoa. We sent you a code 47. 
now we are throwing some scarves at you. We make the world's oldest fermented beverage in the most modern possible way. Whoa. These are dry and sparkling meads using local honey and regional ingredients. You've heard of farm-to-table eating? This is field-to-glass drinking. Makes a great gift or pairs nicely with your holiday season. So here's the message, Ben. We're asking all the FODs in Wisconsin who want to try this tasty mead to head to bossmeadery.com. That's B-O-S-M-E-A-D-E-R-Y.com or find their Facebook page to find one of the many retailers in Wisconsin that sells boss meat. Dang. I got to get my ass over to the uh, to the post office. It sounds like there's some meat in there for us. Got to. Meat is so great for these cold weather months. Really warms the tum. We were just at a hotel at one of our recent tour stops that said that they had a uh, like a nightcap service of meat and whiskey available in the lobby mm-hmm. from you know for certain hours. And we didn't get to participate in that because we had a show during those hours, but uh I wanted to try that mead. You know, I really love mead, but you know what I would have preferred at that hotel? Working Wi-Fi. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would have really loved anything to eat when we got back from our show. Anything at all. There was no mini bar. There was no room service. There was nothing. Nothing within 10 blocks of us, too. Yeah, that was a tough one. Yeah, no pizza places open. Fucking suck. Yeah. Went to bed... With a stomach full of uh, dry-roasted wasabi edamames. And that was it. Wouldn't you have rather gone to bed with a, a belly full of mead? Yeah. Boss Meadery. Could have made it happen. If you're in Wisconsin, check it out. That sounds great. Well, our second priority one message here is of a personal nature. It's from Whammy G. It's to Ben and Adam F1 FODs. And it goes like this. Just finished listening to Emergency Modelo. Voyager Season 6, Episode 25, and, well, got a little worried when Ben and Adam repeatedly stated how podcasting is ruining their financial lives. (laughs) So here's some scarves to hopefully lessen the burden of making this amazing pod, which has been a huge part of my life since, shoot, 2016? What a trip. Love you guys. Vamos, Checo. Hey, that's really nice, Whammy G. Thank you, Whammy G. Thanks for uh, putting something in the jar there. Yeah, we, uh... Definitely haven't had the financial year we were hoping for, put it that way. But uh, I think things are looking up for next year. And uh, we really appreciate anybody that uh, that supports in any way that they can. And one of those ways is to get a P1 by going to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda! I'm going to give it to Kim for the kind of... Silly persistence that he had with Arena. You got to kind of give a Shimoda to a dude who waits out a co-pilot until he's literally singed within an inch of his life (laughs) and is in the hospital (laughs) to make a move. Just felt like Kim was not reading the room with Arena. So uh, he is my Shimoda for this one. How about you? I mean, that's kind of a quality of Harry Kim. Just not quite reading the room right. I'm going to go with the doctor... I think uh, I was just delighted by the depiction of a golfer (laughs) on Star Trek for as weird as it was. Maybe we'll see him on the course. That'd be fun. That would be tremendous. I don't know what that would look like in this context, but yeah. 
Weird hobby for him. He says like it's something that doctors do. Uh huh. I guess that's true. That's fun. Yeah, I'm gonna make the doctor my Shimoda. Doctor Golfer. I like it. What do we have coming up on the next episode, Ben? Adam, the next episode is season seven, episode four, Repression. Tuvok's investigation of a series of mysterious attacks aboard Voyager leads him to a most unlikely suspect. <laughs> to a most unlikely suspect, colon, himself. <laughs> that would be most unlikely. Yeah. Wouldn't it? It would be. Do you think when Tuvok looked at Arena's ears, he was like, oh man, that's sick. He's got like twice as many points as I do. How many Q-tips do you think it would take? <laughs> Get to the bottom of those. Yeah. Who knows? Well, uh, in order to find out in what way we will be doing that episode, I think you need to head over to gach.biz slash game. Ben, I see that our runabout is pulsing gently on square 27 on the doorstep of a Naked Now episode. An episode I'm really hoping to avoid. My least favorite episodes of all time are ones from which I must broadcast in a bathtub. It's not because I don't like baths. I just don't want to do a bathtub show. <laughs> it's just me. It's just what I don't like. Call me crazy. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. The game doesn't care what you do and do not like, just to be clear. Here's the roll. Rolled a two. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. Hopped it. <laughs> Hopped it to square 29. Wow. Safe. That's like twice as much as you usually roll. Yeah. Yeah. I feel really good about that. Good and relieved? Hmm. Uh, mostly relieved, I'd say. All right. That we get to do a regular old episode next week. Uh, the best kind that we do, I'd say. You're the only one. All right, Adam. Well, we got some people to thank here at the end of the episode. I want to thank all of the friends of DeSoto who support us at MaximumFun.org slash join. Hey, it's a holiday season. You could also support us by going to podshop.biz and buying some, some gifts for the friends of DeSoto in your life. Got all kinds of great stuff on there now. So many new things. It's hard to list them all out. I don't even know what my favorite would be. That mouse pad's back. That's special. Yeah. I really like all the uh, Shimoda merch, and we just did uh, some new DeSoto merch in the style of Friends. How about the Brinner Information Systems stuff? That's brand new. That's great. So much cool stuff on there. Yeah, you need a work shirt that, that is kind of code for I'm a friend of DeSoto. Yeah. Get yourself a, a Brinner Information Systems polo. You can get a like a Columbia fleece jacket, like real, mm-hmm. like the brand name Columbia, mm-hmm. and then the Uxbridge Shimoda logo on the breast, embroidered on there. Hey, in these cold months, could your head use a took? <laughs> Actually, a took is something different, right? Uh, Are all hats tooks? I think uh, what we call a beanie cap, the Canadians call a toque. Hey, there you go. We got one of those. Yeah. In the store? At this moment, we might even have a couple. Yeah, so uh, get your butt over there. Get some nice gifts. Get yourself some nice gifts, why don't you? Yeah, potshop.biz. That's where you do that. Gotta thank Wendy Pretty, the producer and editor of this program. Thanks, Wendy. You're the best.
Got to thank Bill Tilly, the card daddy, who runs the At Greatest Trek social media accounts over there on uh, all the all the internets. Hey, join a friend of DeSoto community near you. We've got DrunkShimoda.com Discord group. We've got mm-hmm. the Greatest Gen subreddit, Greatest Gen group on Facebook, which has probably spawned 250,000 different subgroups, whether you're into, like, polyamory or cooking or having a pet there's a greatest gen subgroup for you what's your peloton thing you just do hashtag greatest gen on peloton hashtag jim shimoda oh hashtag jim shimoda of course join the hundreds of peloton riders over there riding on that hashtag or or lifting weights on that hashtag or doing yoga on the hashtag doing all those things great how do you lift weights with a peloton you just lift the bike up is it pretty heavy? I'd love that. No, there's uh, there's like gym programs and stuff in there. Oh. You just work out to a trainer telling you what to do. It's great. That's fun. Yeah. Well, uh, all of those are great communities to be a part of, and uh, I encourage it. Yeah, these are these can be lonely months for some folks. Just want you to know uh, you don't have to be. Lots of friends of DeSoto out there ready to welcome you with open arms. And in the case of the armless friend of DeSoto community, uh, just ready to welcome you, period. we got to thank Adam Ragusea, who made our original theme music, and Dark Materia, who made the original Picard song. Thank you, too. And with that, we're going to be back at you next week with our 500th episode. Literally. What? Yeah. It's crazy. Amazing. That's exciting. Banana cakes. Yeah. Banana pancakes. Mm. It's delicious. Let's go get some banana pancakes. <laughs> mm. Yeah, banana pancake power hour. Our 500th episode. <laughs> Let's hit it. Make it so. Fun. A worker-owned network of artist-owned shows supported directly by you.